Well, good morning to you. We are glad that you are here today. Thank you for coming. And uh, we pray that God will richly bless you. Now, for those who were not here last week or the week before, we're in the middle of a series that we're entitling Steeple Chase. And we are speaking about the seven churches of the book of the Revelation. And again, not for the purpose of a historical lesson, not even for the purpose of a geographical lesson, but for the purpose of bringing the book of the Revelation, those seven churches into our lives. We learned that the number seven is the number of completion in God's word. And so in that, it's just possible that we see God's complete teaching for the for our church today and lessons that we can learn in the 21st century. Now, last week, we looked at the church at Ephesus and they were a great church. But there but the correction that Jesus had for them was was that they had forgotten they had abandoned their first love. And we learned it really wasn't just a love of God, but we went to what Jesus said when he was asked, what was the greatest commandment? Do you remember? Love God, love people. Love God, love people. And then, and then we, we learned that what is important to Jesus or important to God should be important to us. I know we'd say, yeah, but there's more important. No, no, no. Jesus said, man, if you're going to be the church you want me to be, you've got to love me supremely and radically. And you've got to love people radically. And then we, we are hoping that we learned last week that we can do that because love is a choice. We have the Holy Spirit living within us, and God's love even lives, lives within us. So it's hugely important. And by the way, that's what this is about. What's going to happen at 4 o'clock, really about, about 3.30 is you'll start living in the building. But these bags will be given out to families who desperately need to know that there's a God who loves them. So that's what these bags are about today. So today we want to talk about another church, and it is the church of Smyrna. Let me tell you about this church. This is a church that most of you probably would not like to join. Have you ever someone say, don't join a church? You know, I remember I was at Walmart one time, and I was kind of talking to a lady about God and stuff, and she said, I'll never go to your church. And I said, well, thanks. Appreciate that. Makes me encourage you. you know? He goes, no, I don't, I, somebody did something in our church that she didn't like. And she says, I'll never go to your church. In fact, when I was being called, and by the way, Judy Sunday School class, we did not collaborate on this. Okay? It's so funny. I'm sitting in Sunday School class. That's what we're talking about today. You know? So, so when I was surrendering to preach, you know, I, don't, I, I said yes to God. And so my DOM, Rusty, my DOM said, well, there's a little church down the road that needs a, a pastor. or needs someone to fill in for a couple weeks. Not a pastor. Just somebody to fill in for a couple weeks. And would you like to go and do that? And I said, yeah. And I said, so what's the name? And he said, Quarles Baptist Church. Now, have you ever heard of a better name for a Baptist church than Quarles? I mean, come on. That's what we're kind of famous for. Yeah, we know, we know the Baptists. They're always quarreling about something. But you know what? It's incredible. There's only about 12 of us. And praise God, we grew some after that. But there was only about 12 of us. And uh, after a couple of weeks, they said, hey, do you want to be our pastor? And I said, I don't know anything about being a pastor. Because I just, I, I just preached on the radio a couple of times for my church at First Baptist of Orangeburg where I went as a deacon. And they said, oh, we'll teach you. And so they voted me to be their pastor, and that's how I became a pastor. And so it wasn't too long after that, about a year and a half or two years. Um, you know, I, I was fixing to get out of the Air Force and had the opportunity to go on staff and be a youth pastor. Brent, can you believe that? And uh, we had a house there and everything, all that good stuff. And a church contacted me in a little town called Lamont, at Lamont Baptist Church. And so, you know, I was trying to seek God's will, you know, do the spiritual thing, you know, and seeking God's will. And so my DOM called me, the same one who said, go to Quarles, said, you don't want to go to Lamont. I said, they told me not to join. I, why? They eat preachers. That's what he said. His little words were, they eat preachers there. 
And sure enough, we show up there at Lamont, you know, for the, you know, going to give a call. I got my little suit on, you know, my, my tie and everything. And there are three old boys sitting in the parking lot. We had an asphalt parking lot with cracks in it. And the weeds growing up were about that tall. A real church on fire. No pun intended. Because they were burning the weeds in the parking lot. They had poured diesel fuel on the, on the weeds and they were burning. So here I show my little suits, you know, and they're in there in overalls. One of them had no shirt on besides the overalls. And uh, I said, boy, I bet they do eat preachers, you know. But anyway, you know what? We went there. And we had three of the most incredible, incredible years you could ever imagine. The church exploded. Lovely time. Francis Floyd and Leo were my deacons. And they were incredible men of God. And they taught me about being a pastor. And so finally, uh, we had a revival. And the evangelist said, you need to go to Cobden, Illinois. And so I said, cool. So I, you know, I kind of fished around there, you know, and see about resumes and stuff. And you know what somebody told me? You don't want to go to Cobden, Illinois. They fired their preacher before the last guy. And the last guy only stayed a year. I'm saying, ooh, don't, don't join that church either. Well, you know me, I'm kind of unwise. And so I went on down to Cobden, and 14 years later, we had this incredible ministry that, that was just, just awesome, you know. But, but the incredible part to me, and by the way, I won't tell you what they said about Dorsville. <laughs> but, but anyway, but, but two different churches, people advised me not to join. And Smyrna probably was that kind of a church. Now, Smyrna was just up the coast. You can throw the map up there. Smyrna was just up the coast from Ephesus. And it also was a port city. There you can see it up there. Just a little bit north of, if that map is north-south, a little bit north of Ephesus. It was a port city, a very important Greek and Roman city. Um, it had earned the right for self-government. It had a huge library. It was famous for that. Um, it had a huge Acropolis on top of the hill. It's famous for that. Um, it was famous. The word Smyrna means myrrh. You know, you remember you were talking about, you know, Jesus got like myrrh, you know, to be, to be interned with. Okay, well, it's famous for its perfumes. Okay, it had a sweet-smelling city about it. Okay, so it had all this stuff going on. It had a thing called the Golden Street. And on one end of the Golden Street was the Temple of Zeus. And on this end of the street was the temple to Sybil, and that was a local goddess that they had. And they called this thing, between these two massive temples, uh, the, the Golden Street. An incredible place. But here's the deal. You can imagine, with all the various temples that were there, uh, false deities were really, really big. So a, a temple or a church, together with you know, people like you know, God, the one true God, they didn't make a lot of friends in the community. Okay, and then and then you've got, of course, there's a Jewish collection there. And we're going to talk about them in just a moment. A huge Jewish synagogue. And they didn't like the Christians either. Okay, and then they got the government mad because there's a thing called emperor worship. It's about this time when, you know, Caesar decided he was a god. And so part of every Roman's citizen's duty was to burn incense to the emperor. And part of that ceremony was to say, Caesar is Lord. Well, the Christians got together and said, well, we can't say that. We don't believe he's a Lord at all. We believe in the one true God. So, so they had the, the regular Gentiles mad at him. They had the Jews mad at him. And, and then they had the government mad at him. It was just a really tough situation. And they were persecuted. So if you don't like persecution, you probably wouldn't want to go to this church. But it's really cool. There are two of the seven, though, that did not have any correction by the Lord. And this is one of them. So take your Bibles and turn to the book of Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to look at the shortest letter to any of the churches, the church at Smyrna. Okay? Revelation chapter 2, verse number 8 through 11, appropriately titled, Hard Times. The Bible says in verse 8, 
And we're going to do just a little tiny bit of review, all right? Write to the angel. Time out. Remember, your pastors are angels, okay? It's, it's universally accepted that the angel of the church was the pastor of the church. Really, a good translation would be to the messenger of the church, okay? So, to the message, uh, messenger of the church. Now, you remember that, again, y'all know I don't know a bunch of Greek, but I want you to understand that the word church is not a good translation from the Greek. And the reason I want you to know that, I'm not trying to rock your world, but the word church is a German word that came about around the third, uh, yeah, the third century, 300 AD, a German word that they started using. And unfortunately, we cloud our brain because when we say Dorisville Baptist Church, if we're not careful, we think about a building. If we say First Baptist Church, we think about buildings. If we say Little Chapel Church, we think about a building. And the word church is a German word. The Greek word is ekklesia, and it means called out ones, congregation, a group of people. Okay, and, and for some reason they chose not to use that translation. They came up with this German word in, in tradition uh, as the Bible has passed on. And we kept using it and kept using it. But literally the word church means called out one. So you have um, right to the pastor um, of the called out ones, the congregation, the group of people in Smyrna. So we have this church in a very difficult place. And this is the address, the title that Jesus Christ uses for himself. He says, the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life, says. Now, Jesus is not going to tell them what they want to know. He's going to tell them what they need to know. And because of that, because of the difficult message that is coming, he calls himself, again, the first and the last. He has the, listen, he has the power over time. The power over time. May I go back one more time again, just real quickly? I want to remind you something. Our God is not bound by time. That's us, okay? That's us, not him. You know, God has fluidity that he can go in the past, he's in our present, and he is in the future. And I literally mean this, that God is already in your tomorrows. That's why God will never be late, because he's already there. I know Mary Martha, when Lazarus died, said, oh, he came four days late. Oh, no, no. Jesus was already there. God was already there. So God is in your past, he's in your present, and he's also in your future. But here's something else. I want you to write this down. Not only is God over the power of time, he's over the control of time. Control of time. We're going to see a very important teaching in this lesson today, I want you to grab hold of. Because some of you right now, David, you said it, by the way, incredible songs, brother. Incredible songs today. You know, I don't know how, if God got you or whatever, but it was just incredible how they tied in with the, with the scripture today. But, but as, as David was sharing with us, our God is sovereign. And there might be some saints here, here's his words, who are worshiping through suffering. And I want you to know something. If you're in a period right now when you say, I'm a period of suffering, I want you to know something. The period, the time of that suffering is not controlled by the devil. The, the time, the period of that suffering is not controlled by your circumstances. The time and period of that suffering is in the hands of Almighty God. Because He is not bound by time, but He does control time. So He says, to the first and the last, the one who was dead, and came to life. That's his declaration. Of I have power over sin. I have power over the grave. Say it with me please. I have power over sin. I have power over the grave. 
He's going to speak to the church of Smyrna about the possibility of them dying. But they are victorious because they have experienced God's amazing grace and forgiveness of sin. So we have in this church in a difficult place. We have a God who's not bound by time, but does control time. And we have a Savior who has defeated death and has defeated sin. And that was an important message for us and an important message for them. And here's what Jesus says. I know your affliction and poverty. I know. Now, I stood today. I'm sorry, I stood this week, Wednesday. In front of a family that was burying a nine-year-old boy. And I took time to introduce them to God. I want you to know something. If you're in a period of suffering now, or you're coming out of, have recently come out of a period of suffering, I want you to hear me very clearly today. That we have a Savior who knows our pain. We have a Savior that identifies with our pain. In fact, when Jesus shows up at Lazarus' grave, the Bible says he weeps. We have a God, a Savior, who is so filled with compassion. Well, Dwayne, how does God know affliction? Well, they took him. And they nailed him to a Roman cross similar to this one. They took him and beat him Within an inch of his life. He could not die. He willed himself not to die. Because he had a destiny on the cross. But they beat him. They plucked his beard. They slapped him around. They smote him with with reeds. They put a crown of thorns upon his head. And then they nailed him to a Roman cross. The, The death of all deaths. I'm telling you that Jesus Christ is a Savior who knows tribulation. Jesus Christ is a Savior who knows affliction. And when you're hurting and you're suffering, you have a Savior who knows what it's like. I know your affliction. Uh, another translation. I, in fact, it's in this translation. I know your tribulation. I, I can identify with that. And I know that your poverty and they're hooked together. What happens when you make the government mad? And you make the the community mad. And and you make everyone else mad. You kind of have an economic crisis. And most theologians believe in the church of Smyrna that they did not have the opportunity to buy. Many of them lost their jobs, the ability to make amends just like like, uh, Africa, just like China today. If an Islam person receives Jesus Christ in Africa, they are are ostracized by their family. They lose their job. And so it is with China. So tribulation and poverty... Are often hooked together. And Jesus says. I know what you're going through. And I know the poverty. Now I know. We don't know tribulation in America. Can't have amen. Now listen. We don't know tribulation. In America. But may I share this with you. Often difficult times come in our lives. This is Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to those who love God. Who are the called according to his purpose. That there are difficult times who come into our lives. And I'm going to rock your boat a little bit. Sometimes those difficult times are initiated by God. For our good and His glory. You mentioned Job, David. You know, God certainly allowed, Satan was the instigator, but God, God allowed Satan to bring the affliction upon Job. Even, even in the story of Lazarus. You know, when, when the guys learned that Lazarus had died, Jesus said, 
this has happened for the, for the glory of God. I'm glad this has happened for the glory of God. So sometimes God is the initiator of trouble. Why would he do that to us? Because God is so much more interested in our holiness than our happiness. I wanted, it's one of those times in Sunday school class I wanted you to go, please call on me. I want to share. And today she didn't. So I get to share it with you. You see, in Western culture, you know, we somehow have got mixed up with God and what God is about to thinking that, that, that God exists for us and not we for God. And that somehow when we trust Jesus, we get this free skate in life. The largest church in America is based on a theology that says live your best life now. People want to hear how that my life will be better, and they're talking about physically, if I trust God, if I trust Jesus as Savior. I don't know where they get that from. Because last time I checked, Judas committed suicide. We're going to throw him out of the pile. But the other 11, 11 and probably Matthias, all died martyrs' death besides John. I can't find scriptures that say the followers of Jesus became millionaires, won the lottery, never lost their job. Their kids had straight teeth. The kids had um, scholarships to college. Everything was great. That's not the basis. The basis is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that there's none righteous, no, not one. The basis is we are sinners before a holy God. And that God loved us so much that he became flesh and nailed him, had himself be nailed to an old Roman cross and died in place of us. He endured, Jesus endured the wrath of God that we could have eternal life and forgiveness with his father. That is incredible, guys. It's not about promotions and money and stuff. I'm telling you that you can have joy and peace in your life. If you're a Christ follower, if you'll get back to focusing on what Jesus did on the cross and get your mind off what God has not done for you, you'll be a whole lot happier camper camper, as a believer in Jesus Christ. Amen? The crux of it is, the crux of it is that Jesus died for us and has forgiven us. And the cool part is, well, Dwayne, what are we supposed to do there? I, I never forget. I had someone say to me, well, if that's true, Dwayne, then why become a Christian? Because you're a sinner before a holy God, and without forgiveness, you will send eternity burning in a place called hell. And eternity is a long, long time. But God loved you and forgave you. So, Dwayne, what are we supposed to do? From the moment you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you are to love Him and serve Him. Love Him and serve Him. The kingdom is what our lives are about as followers of Jesus Christ. About, about 150 or 200 of you are going to come back this afternoon. It's not about us feeling good about ourselves. It's about an opportunity to be Jesus to about 630 kids. And about 1,000 people as they pass through here. It's about us having the opportunity to show Jesus to people. And God has left you on this earth, dear friend, as a Christ follower, to bring glory to His name. That's what it's all about. And when Jesus said, I know your affliction, I know your poverty, but He says this, you're rich! You're rich! And someone's saying right now, I don't feel rich. Oh, wait. 
See, if I was wiser and I poured all my earnings in my 401 or 201K, whichever week the stock market says it is, you know, you don't know how the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Same thing with the stock market. You give and they take it away. You give and they take it away. If I, if, as we are wise and pour money, pour money, pour money, pour money, you know, if God allows you to live, hopefully you'll reach a point in your life when you'll have money so that you can live the rest of your days out. Hopefully serving God. Hopefully serving God. Hopefully that's exactly what will happen. But you have to sacrifice now to have something for later. Jesus is telling the church at Smyrna, you're rich. Oh, maybe not now. Maybe not now. But as you are faithful and you serve me, there's an economy coming that as you sacrifice now, you'll be abundantly rich later. And I don't know, I I can't figure God's economy out. Jesus said some really incredible things about God's economy in heaven. But I know this. The old gospel song says, it will be worth it all. And brothers and sisters, I promise you, it will be worth it all. It will be worth it It will make what this world has to offer just pale. It will be in the presence of Jesus. That's part of it. Where we are, where there's no sickness, pain, or suffering, that will be part of it. Seeing loved ones who knew Jesus Christ have gone on before, that will be part of it. And somehow there's an economy. Jesus says that in the book of Matthew. It's incredible. Paul, Jesus, or John writes and Jesus says, Yeah, I know. I know your tribulation. Yeah, yeah, I know that right now you're poor, but you are rich. And this, like, it's like he reads the minds of, of some of the Smyrnian Christians. And they go, Yeah, what about those Jews? Because here's what he says I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. That's almost like, Judy, that's like when Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Now, the Jews, again, were, quote, God's chosen people. These folks were not followers of Christ, but they were part of Israel. Supposedly, God's chosen people. It's almost like John saying, and Jesus is saying, like, you're supposed to act better than this. But just like Paul, before he became, or Saul became Paul, he was persecuting the church. And, and these people were slandering, slandering the church. God's, quote, chosen people were not acting anything like God. You remember last week? When I told you this, I said, I don't know what a church without love is, but it's not a church. Because God is love, and God's people love people. And, and if, you, if you have a church that doesn't love, it may be a gathering. I'm not sure I'd use the word ecclesia. Called out ones. What happens, do you think? These Jews... We're taking what, what they had supposedly from God and using it to the point where Jesus said it's a synagogue of Satan. Have you ever wondered what happens when people use the church for their own purposes? Have you ever wanted to know what does the church look like when people use it for their own purposes? In Matthew 21, this is on your sermon sheet, and the guys have it on the, on the screen. In Matthew 21, verse 12 and 13, listen to these words. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Are you familiar with this story? You know, tell me Jesus doesn't have a temper. A holy temper, but he had a temper. And he said to them, it is written... 
My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, this is not about should there be a soda machine in the church. This is not about should we sell T-shirts in the foyer. The problem is clear when Jesus says the den of thieves. These guys were charging exorbitant prices and making huge profits off of the people who came to worship God. Now, Brent, if you start charging $2 for soda, we're going to have to talk. Okay? As long as you keep it low, we're all right. It's about them misusing the house of God for their own well-being and their own profit. Church, let me tell you something. There's a big gig in America. There's a big deal in America. About people thinking that they own the church. That the church exists for them. It does not and will not. The church belongs to God and God alone. Rusty something. Something that my previous DOM said. Wrote an article actually. And I even asked him permission to copy it. When you're looking for a church. When you finally say. On that slip, there's a slip on our, on our connect card. It says, there's a paragraph that says, we promise not to visit you until you say okay. Because we live in a different culture. You don't want somebody to show up at your house at 9 o'clock at night. We understand that. But when you say you do, you do. So we'll get there and we'll tell you, oh, we've got the most wonderful choral program. We've got the most wonderful this. We've got the most wonderful that. And the preacher only preaches 20 minutes so you can get to the restaurant on time. All of it trying to coerce you to choose Dorisville to be your church. We've got it all wrong. We need to show up at people's houses and say, thank you for visiting Dorisville Baptist Church. We are so pleased that God might be calling you to serve here. And speaking of serving, what do you bring to the table for our church? See, it's not what the church can do for you. It's what you can do for God's kingdom. What can you do? Some of you have got leadership abilities and talents and you can sing and all these different things. What do you bring to the table at Dorisville? And by the way, please hear me clearly. That doesn't start when you get a name on a roll. That starts about your third visit. Because after your third visit, we count you as family. You may not have a name on a roll. If you've been coming here for, for several weeks or several months, you are part of the Dorsfield Baptist Church family. Serve. We need you. We want you to serve. Just let us know. Use that connect card and say, hey, I want to serve here. I want to serve here. And we can plug you in. Yeah, there's some things you can't do as a non-member. There's so much you can do. We need people who will serve. So never, never, never. Pastor, are you listening? Yes, sir, I'm listening. Pastor, deacons, trustees, other leadership, or lay person. Do not think that you can use the church, a church, for your own purposes. It belongs to God. Now. What Jesus says next in verse number 10 is just huge. He says, I love this. Because I'm a fearful person. Don't be afraid. You know, it's so cool. When God created the world, there was no fear. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. God would walk in the cool evening. You know, they would chat and Adam and Eve would chat and talk. There's no fear of a leopard. There's no fear of lions or anything like that. It was all like, Wow. And then when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God in sin, what's the Bible saying? Verse number 10. They were hiding in the bushes, and God says, Where are you? We're hiding in the bushes. And, and let me interpose, why are you hiding in the bushes? Because we were afraid. And what did God say? He didn't know the fruit. And he knew that. He's trying to help them see what they've done. Sin brought fear into the world. But when Jesus Christ came into the world on that first Christmas day, 
before the curse of Christmas Day, he said to Mary, this young virgin girl, do not be afraid. Do not fear. He said to Joseph, don't be afraid. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. He told the shepherds, hey, guys, don't be afraid. The message that God brings in the world is you don't have to be afraid anymore. Come on, y'all. Come on now. You don't have to be afraid anymore. In fact, look at the context. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Well, I'm not Judy. You're listening this morning. I didn't sign up for suffering. You did. You followed up Jesus. We're just blessed in America. We don't see it yet. We don't see it yet. If you've been here for the Toronto uh, mission report, you'd have heard those ladies say that in that culture, they cannot bow their heads and pray openly because they'll be considered something that they're not. We will suffer one day. In fact, we suffer now some, but it may well increase. But the message of Jesus, don't fear what you're about to suffer. Why? 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 You know, students, I know that, that popularity is important. I, was, I want to be popular when I was in school. And if you stand for Christ, you may not be very popular. You know, guys at the office, you may want to be the life of the party. And if you stand for Christ and stop listening to what you shouldn't listen to and stand for Christ, you may lose that. You may suffer a little bit. Why should we not worry about suffering, Jesus? Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil who, by the way, is so cool. Get this. Some of y'all got the wrong idea about Satan. Now, Satan's a powerful creature. But he ain't nothing compared to God. He ain't even a rookie God. He ain't a God wannabe compared to God. Now, compared to you, be careful because you have to be in Jesus' name. All right? So, so the devil is going to throw some of you into prison to test you. Now, that didn't happen accidentally. Jesus knew it. And Jesus allowed it. You remember when, when Jesus was talking to Peter about the uh, you know about him falling, you know, but denying Jesus. He said, Satan has asked, say asked, asked to sift you as wheat. Back in the book of Job again, David, Satan had to get God's permission. God had to allow uh, Satan to touch Job. I'm telling you something. We serve an all-powerful God. And within the sovereignty of God, and listen, listen to me, you need to hear this, so you won't be disappointed in God. Sometimes within the sovereignty of God, pain will come into your life. Don't believe the guy in Texas. If you are a true Christ follower, pain will come into your life. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. But look what he says. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will have affliction for ten days. Why is that important? What did I tell you at the very beginning of the message about time? God is not bound by time, and God controls time. Now, frankly, we do not know what the ten days means. Again, most commentaries and theologians will tell you it means a short and controlled time. In other words, Jesus is saying, for my sovereignty, for my glory and your good, Satan is going to have free reign to persecute you for a while. 
But only for a while. Some of you need to know this. In your time of hurt and suffering right now, God's got His hand on the buzzer. Don't you think He's down in Florida swimming in the Gulf? Don't you think your God is asleep back in the bedroom and He's forgot you? Your God does not go on, come on now. Your God does not go on vacation. Your God does not slumber or see. He's got his hand on the button and you're suffering. Your school time will be over. And one day he's going to mash that button and it'll be over. When, Dwayne, when his purpose is accomplished. Not when your purpose, when his purpose is accomplished. And I know some of y'all are going, I didn't sign up for this. What happened to Jesus loves me this I know and I get to go to heaven and streets of gold and in the meantime I've got to live. Somebody told you a lie. Now, there are, hey, life is good. I'm not going to check out tomorrow. I mean, to see how these grandkids turn out. I want to see if Judy ever looks old. You know, one day she might say, is that your wife? And says, that's your daughter. You know, looking forward to that. No. There's some assurance in knowing my God's in control. My God is sovereign. It's not some Satan. It's not some people. It's not some circumstances. Our God is sovereign. He's in control. You've got to like that. He says, be faithful. Be faithful. How long? Be faithful to death. He is saying, he is saying that some of the Samaritan Christians might well die because of persecution. And again, not in our country yet. But some of us may be called upon to get our lives. Every time we step our foot in Africa, or even Nicaragua, or Haiti, every time our foot crosses foreign soil, the chances of death increase. In this year in Mali, it was certainly higher. But God's in control of that. That's why I can look you in the eye and say, why should I send my loved ones to Africa, or to Haiti, or Nicaragua? What if? With God, there is no what ifs. God is sovereign. God's in control. I love it. I love it. And he says, if you'll be faithful to death, I'm going to give you the crown of life, which is simply, it's like the tree of life. It's symbolism of eternal life. If you're willing and may give your life here, if you'll be faithful and give your life here, if you're faithful and give your life away here, there's coming a day that is so much better than what you got now. And I don't care how good your life is, something better is coming. No sickness, no sorrow, no pain, no night, not even any churches because he himself is the temple. Woo. And for every Christ follower, every born again believer in Jesus Christ, this is the promise. So finally in verse number 11, we're going to leave that, that Peter scripture for you guys to digest later. He closes with this, and this is what I love about this. This is why I'm so excited about teaching this series on the seven churches. He didn't say, now if you're a member of Smyrna and you've got an ear, hear this. He said anyone, including his ecclesia, his called out ones in the 21st century. So he says, anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Now this teaching is so crucial. And I'll tell you why. There's an old song that we used to sing. Anyone can sing when the sun's shining bright, but God gives you a song in the night. Why this is so important is because I know that tribulation is coming in your lives, and your lives, and your lives, 
in your lives. And the world watches us every day. They watch us at Walmart. Remember, remember you were fixing to walk into line last Tuesday at Walmart? And right when you almost got to the cash register, somebody jerked right in front of you. And you went, They're watching then. They're watching. Or, or, or when, you're, when you're doing the, the thing, you know, on the highway, and they zip out around you, and they cut in and almost hit your bumper. And you're so glad you don't have a Jesus sticker on your bumper. Because what you're thinking is not very Jesus-like. They watch us that. They watch us. But when trouble comes, when it's our times to go to the funeral home, when it's our times to have a period in the hospital, when it's our child who takes a crazy eye and a left turn and we're going, what were you thinking? When it's us, the world watches and says, let's see what Jesus means to you now. And if we are Christ-filled then, they go, I want that. That's why this teaching is so important. The world out there wants to see authenticity. And authenticity shows the brightest in the darkest nights. Of life. He closes with one more statement and says this. The victor will never be harmed by the second death. You know what second death is? Eternal separation from God. Hell. We will experience the first death. Some may not experience that because of the rapture. But the second death is the great white throne judgment. Where God looks at every lost person and says, depart from me, I never knew you. And they are cast in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Now you need to leave with this. Can I read this one more time? The victor, the born again believer, the follower of Jesus Christ, will never be harmed. Would you feel those words with me, please? Never be harmed. How long is never? A long, long time. Never be harmed by the second death. So next time you're going through a difficult time, next time you look at your friend down the road, he's got the new bass boat and the new car, and he got the promotion, and, and he can go to Florida and stay at certain places, you go, oh, why can I have that? Just remember, listen for the Holy Spirit. You're not going to experience the second death. You're going to heaven. Heaven's forever. What we value here, gold, we walk on up there. Y'all won't even pick up gold for gravel in a place called him. Y'all, anybody got a rock collection? I, I was looking this morning in my office. I got like nine rocks from Africa. They're cheap souvenirs. You won't even pick up rocks, gold rocks for your collection in heaven. Because there is nothing more than asphalt. Telling you guys, it will be worth it. We may not choose Smyrna because of the affliction, but should God bless us to be a part of that church, He'll be faithful. He'll see us through. Hold on, my child. Joy comes in the morning. Would you bow your heads right there?
Oh, brothers and sisters. Oh, brothers and sisters. If you're a Christ follower today, I want to encourage you. Now, notice I didn't say we're supposed to be jumping all over the place, yippee-doo-dah, yippee-day, when pain comes. But we are to walk through the fire with a confident assurance that our God is with us. And as the world watches, as the government, in the case of Smyrna, as the government watches, as those who worship false gods watch, as even sometimes other churches watch and mock and laugh, be faithful because you are a shining light in a world of darkness for Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here today, friend, and you've never trusted Christ, this may be something different you've heard. You may have come today, maybe somebody invited you, promised you lunch or, or something, and you're going, wait, wait, this is different. I, I watch those TV preachers, and they promised me health, wealth, and, and never getting sick if I trust Jesus. And you're telling me you won't promise me any of that? Uh-uh, I won't. And neither will Jesus. And neither will God. But I will promise you this. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only son. That whosoever, and you're one of those whosoever's, believes in his son Jesus, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He doesn't want you to perform. He doesn't want you to, to, to write large checks to the church or commit to going three times a week or get dunked 25 times. He says, believe in my son. Come by faith. Experience my grace. And you can have eternal life. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front. If that's something God's calling you to today, I want you to be bold and get out of your seat and come out and say, Brent, I want to be a Christ follower just like Brother Dwayne talked about. And we would be glad to share with you the most incredible life of that being a follower of Jesus Christ. God, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing truth today. And Father, sometimes these truths are hard. And of course, we don't know how the, the church at Smyrna responded. But I just have to believe the reason why there's no correction there is because they responded positively. They knew it was hard. They knew it was difficult. And it might even result in death. But simply put, they were willing to trust you. Help us, God, as your people, to trust you. For my friend here today who's never, never come to a relationship with your Father, God Almighty. Oh, let today be that day. Let them see the power of eternal life, the hope of eternal life that can only be found through Jesus Christ. And we pray in your precious name. Amen.